Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you for your service, and it's great to catch up again. Definitely, and always. And so um, just, you know, staying very busy and working and uh, taking care of patients and, again, bracing and getting ready for this uh, this this wave, uh, this wave of, again, the coronavirus and the flu virus coming up here. So we're going to see a wave again, even though people are trying to say they're trying to get back to normal. People are starting to really start to not social distance anymore, especially I'm seeing it more and more. You're you're really cautioning against this, aren't you? Yes, definitely. And I, and I think the uh, the national leaders uh, on, on this actual virus, uh, people like uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, just last week uh, mentioned, again, that uh, what we're going to be facing here with uh, – uh, with the coronavirus and the flu virus, he uh, just talked about that on CNN recently uh, last week. All right, so let's kind of just jump right specifically into uh, your book now. You know, we've covered certain parts of your book. We talked about your brother. We talked about kind of being the ward of the state. But let's talk about, mil- let's go into the military today. I thought let's kind of talk about your formation. Once you finally decide to go to the military, that's when your life started to turn around, wasn't it? Definitely. Uh, I think that um, there was a very essential part, you know, um, again, I had received, I had went to lots of college and actually I was again in the medical, I was always in medical school. Actually, I was uh, yeah, in medical school when I uh, uh, decided to go into the military. And so that changed a lot in that, you know, I had financial support. Again, I had a strong uh, team of uh, leaders who I was working with, and and so that certainly did help advance my career. Um, and so I think the military is very important, okay, uh, to for young people in our society. Uh, it teaches discipline, uh, it teaches uh, young people how to work as a team, uh, plan for the future, uh, and also be involved in world-changing events. So. Yes, going to military was very instrumental in my life, and I think it's very important for young people in America. Yeah, I think I definitely think so as well, uh, Doctor Hall. It's just something that you know you develop that discipline, you develop that work ethic. So when you entered the military, you didn't have that, right? That kind of discipline. Well, there's certain aspect I would say, yeah, I, I did not have. Now again, you know getting through college, and, and we've talked about this with different guests of how important college is, and so far as helping you plan, uh, helping you um, uh, meet deadlines, uh, and, 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 and just obtaining a degree, how that, how that was important. But the other aspects of basically um, accepting leadership, you know, there are people who are over in the military, whether colonels or generals, uh, you may just be a lowly captain, but uh, either way, uh, which is again my rank, um, you know, being able to accept um, orders and take responsibility is, is very important. So, yeah, accepting orders and taking responsibility is huge. It's a it's a big part of everything and anything. And if and if you if you don't, then what happens to the military? What happens to the guys that don't want to take orders and responsibility? Well, that's the thing. Since it's a team effort. If you uh, do not want to work with the team, then guess what? The consequences won't just affect you. It will affect the team. And so what you'll see is 
your colleagues and the people that, you know, you work with, uh, they have ways of motivating you to uh, comply and to do what's right, to achieve uh, objective and certain goals. So, but, you know, there's another aspect, too, of the book I want to talk about, Neil, sure. if, we, if we have some time. Yeah, so I just want to kind of, we'll go into the military and then you jump in the other part of the book. But so in that process, sure. when did you kind of discover who you are in the military? Did you choose to become a doctor in the military? Right, no, great question. Um, after my second year of college, uh, back at the California State University at Chico, up in Northern California, is when I decided that I wanted to study medicine. And so that was way before I actually joined the military. Uh, but interesting, uh, uh, interesting enough is that what made me actually want to also go into medicine was I read a book about a doctor who actually had been a doctor in the military. And so that always stuck in my mind. Again, the whole theme here is that um, we can find our role models in literature. We can find our role models uh, even on TV sometime in the, the different shows. And so that, I think, uh, is very important to, to uh, find those role models wherever they are. Definitely finding them is key. And you figured it out. You said, I want to do this. And your journey, we'll talk more. People need to definitely check out your book. It's available on Amazon and search, uh, search the book and you'll be able to find it. And we'll talk about it at the end of this interview. Now let's go to what you wanted to talk about the book today and something else as well. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's again, tied into this whole idea of role models for our young people. And just, uh, last week I was looking at the book and, and where it ranked with, um, children, uh, uh, science book, Kids Want to Go into Science, those books about that. The book had actually climbed to the 500 position That's on great. Amazon. And so I think that, uh, you know, this book is having an effect on young people and um, w- what they want to do in their life. And um, just the principles from the book, because again, the book goes through every step of my life. It talks about every year of college, from the first year of college to the second year to the third year. It talks about uh, the science classes I took and you know how we should approach science and, and how that science and mathematics can help us actually become better thinkers uh, and more effective in things that we do daily. So, Yeah, and you know what? So that's, you, you just brought up a great point in that of of the book is your radio show podcast is a is the questions are the same as the books laid out you basically find out about the challenges they went through in their lives how they were able to overcome those challenges who were their mentors who were the people that helped them in the process how did they discover themselves how they developed that work ethic and where they are today and that's all laid out in the book so somebody who was in trouble with the courts really a bad kid you turned everything around and against all odds went and fought and today you're an emergency room doctor and an author and a nationally syndicated radio host so everybody could be you dr hall even in their circumstance if they truly follow these principles yes sir i think you're you're totally right and and again i think that was the whole idea of why i wanted to tell my story not that I thought, hey, I was any special type of person, because everyone has a very inspiring story, you know, uh, that can be used literally to help other people and change their life. But 
from the situation I was in, looking out um, from the projects of what, um, I said, hey, there's a big world out there. I want to make an impact on the world. Um, and so uh, from that point, I, w- I was able to focus. But I think that's the most important thing is that uh, we use our life examples and those times that we're going uphill, the difficult times, those times help us uh, form our character so far as uh, that's what challenges are for. Not so much what happens to your life, but how you respond to what happens to you. And so that really was the genius behind, again, how you architect the show is that the book lays out questions for our most inspiring guests that we have on the show. Uh, and those questions come from the book that we ask about their lives and about what they're doing um, in their careers and uh, say their various foundations and activities. So, Absolutely. And then in the different times in your life, and again, the point about your brother, who's incarcerated and how he made the wrong choices and the wrong decisions. And he too could have maybe overcame those things. But again, it takes mentors. It takes to understand that you're going to go through trials in your life. You're going to have challenges. You might even hit rock bottom, even if you have all the talent in the world, but that means that it's time to fight again, right? Dr. Holt's time to, 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 to take up the fight and go again. Exactly. And you know, my brother Wayne, he did end up, in a very difficult situation and he is in a very difficult situation but even from his situation if you read the book he is using uh his confinement you know his uh imprisonment uh to try to reach out and help other young men who come from the same lifestyle background that he came from uh whether that was a life in crime whether that's growing up in poverty uh, in the different uh, urban environments here in America or across the world. Um, read his chapter. He talks about what young people should not do uh, in order to keep themselves out of uh, severe trouble in the legal system. Well, fabulous. Uh, again, everyone needs to check out the book. Best place is Amazon, right? How where's, Where should they search? Yes, sir. Yeah, Amazon, it, it, you know, is uh, it's actually on the Amazon site. But again... I think if you just go even to to uh, Google, type in my name, Christopher L. Hall, MD, I think one of the first things that will come up is the book. And so I'm very excited. Um, the effect that the book is having and the message that we're getting out uh, with this show as well. Absolutely. And, and people are figuring out Dr. Christopher Hall and all those different things. And uh, definitely you have another book in line coming soon, right? As well. You're going to have another book? Definitely. Yes, definitely. And uh, so um, I would say within the next six months, the new book should be out. And so uh, I'm talking about that a little bit more. But again, it's going to be on the same line of motivating, uh, using, uh, you know, the the leaders in our society, uh, whether stars or uh, athletes and and what they went through and their struggles and how – uh, their stories can be used to help our young people be successful here in America. And it's amazing, the stories, and you never know who's going to tell that story. And you paint the picture, they have gone through those struggles and they've overcome. So again, Dr. Hall, thanks for calling and uh, look forward to another Dr. Christopher Hall show soon. Great. Thanks, Neil. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Dr. Bye-bye. Christopher Hall show and take care, everyone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Villardi show. And I'm excited to welcome the program. Mike Villardi, Mike, how are you? 
Uh, we're getting close to October. We're getting close to November, really. We are. We're getting close to the election. And, um, and we're going to use this format as, uh, as a platform for, for the candidates that are running in my district. Um, you know, Laura Loomer is running on the Republican side and uh, Lois Frank on the Democratic side. But there's also an independent. And uh, we're going to have him on the show next week. His name is Charleston Malcolmus. And uh, he's a he's a veteran and he's a real solid guy, and I think we you know we're gonna have him on the show and we're gonna we're gonna send out an invitation for a debate on the Mike Velarde show. Have all three candidates come on the show and debate each other. Awesome for another show. I will see it and we'll see if yeah. they all show up. Mm -hmm. That's gonna be the they big thing. Up. Exactly. And then we'll find out. And that's that's, that's an important thing. And that's what the Mike Velarde show heard all over the world it provides is great content that again the mainstream media is afraid to cover so let's go first topic let's hit it with the chinese virologist that says the they came from wuhan the yeah. wuhan lamb now new news came out today but i want to hear your take before that news came out well listen i you know i you know i i have government contacts and you know i had heard from a buddy of mine that was in the cia that that this was something that was man-made by the Chinese. And this was purposely done at this time for the single purpose of, of, of pushing Trump out of office. And that's, that's information that came to me. Now, when you look at it, you're seeing that all the democratic cities and states want to hold off sending the children back to school. They're basically trying to plan the president for this when in fact, the riots have come from very left-leaning groups. Um, I think they over overdid this thing. So to purposely intentionally destroy the economy because they could not win an election with Joe Biden with given the fact that Trump had the lowest Hispanic unemployment, the lowest black unemployment, the lowest employment since 1969, the highest stock market in the history of the country, and no way to win. Right. You can't beat that. If the virus goes, you can't beat that at all. No, you can't beat it. So, so what do you do? You destroy the economy by creating a pandemic that, that, that doesn't allow people to go out to restaurants that doesn't allow people. I was just at the barber before before the show. He was closed down for six weeks. Did he get any help? He got no help. No. So he has still had to pay that rent in full. He wasn't able to do haircuts. He was going house to house to you know for, the, for his repeat clients. All right. And he's still trying to catch up. Now that's devastating. When you when you have a business and you have to continue to pay your rent and and you know six look at New York City. New York City, they destroyed the businesses. They took a billion from the police. Now the murder rate is higher than it's ever been. Now, now, now there's nobody, 350,000 people moved out of New York City. There's 17,000 rentals that are available in New York City. Oh. 17,000. What is that going to do for the prices? It's going to plummet them. New Jersey, the real estate's going through the roof. People that have to work in New, in New York are getting out of the city and going over to Jersey. Trump's chance of getting reelected. Now, what are the polls? I think Rasmussen has Trump up. Is that correct? 
that my 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 take is uh, look you look at biden okay the biggest idiot democrats ever nominated all right biden right i mean he doesn't get the support if biden goes out to give an event do you you think it's like trump where they got people out the door can't wait to get in thousands of people there's no enthusiasm for biden he's getting the anti-trump vote that's what he's getting the anti-trump vote and i i think there's a lot of people that are going to vote for trump that aren't going to say they're going to vote for trump no they're not going to bring it on because they they're big lose their business they can lose their half their customers there's so much hatred for donald trump that people aren't going to say anything right but but i think the that trump makes up the silent majority of the people look here's how simple it is donald trump two dollar gasoline joe biden five dollar gasoline they already signed off on the, the the green new deal just to get bernie supporters that automatically is going to move the price from two dollars to five why they're going to stop all fracking in the united states they're going to stop drilling uh, you know in, in so when we're going to go from being energy independent for the first time in 70 years exactly begging saudi arabia to send us oil oh goodness gracious does that make any sense then no no and so what and then biden again with the issues he's having with his speaking, which it's not a stutter. They never brought up stutter ever before. He's just really having trouble understanding things. And he's not the Joe Biden that was vice president. Listen, when he was vice president in 2008, he got out there and gave a speech to, to, to a group of factory workers. And he said this, what America needs is a three letter word, jobs, J-O-B-S, a three letter word, jobs. Well, if he couldn't count the four in 2008, how about now? Yes, and Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris is not the best vice president running mate. Look, you got two people. Joe Biden passed the, that, that crime act, which put more blacks in jail and kept them there for years and years. And Kamala Harris did the same thing as attorney general. She was keeping minorities in jail to, to bring revenue into the state of California, even though she knew some of them were innocent. Oh, goodness gracious. I mean, is that what you really want? No, you don't want that. You definitely don't. Oh, my. So what other news do you have, Mike? I mean, it looks like the election. Anything else to bring up that's huge now? I think the big thing is next week's uh, interview and then the debate. Those are the big things. But anything else you have going? Yeah, well, listen, we, we, we yeah, I'm starting to get my book out there. I'm starting to do a lot of uh, radio interviews on the book. You know, my book, The Time of His Coming, spoke about this. Matter of fact, I have a chapter. And, you know, in the chapter, I, I make up, you know, fake people. But... It, it's funny that my, my character, I called her Hillary Harris, was going to be elected president in 2028, and she was a California senator. So you can, you can pretty much guess who that was on. So I don't know. We can see, we can see what I wrote coming to pass, you know, because um, now she's now she's the the, the vice president, uh, you know, yeah. um, on the ticket. So so I think my book is really really prominent as far as Bible prophecy and things that are happening. And, you know, anybody, everybody should read it. Uh, you know, MikeVillardiBooks.com, the time of his coming, the final chapter. Um, it, you know, it puts us out to 2028, where I kind of predict that the Democrats will win it all and the United States will be a non-existing country by, by 2020, by 2035. 
um, due to the, the, the havoc that socialism and communism would cause. You know, because what you're seeing is we're seeing the vision. And it really comes down to godliness or ungodliness. Right. That's what it comes down to. I mean, it, it's the left-wing godless Democrats who are behind Black Lives Matters and Antifa, who are destroying the cities, looting, stealing everything, have the, the mentality that they deserve everything. Um, and it's certainly not the people on the other side. So, so when, you, and when you see these rallies, these Trump rallies, you see patriots. You see people that love the country. They love God. They love freedom. And I think that anybody that is, you know, doesn't have an I hate Trump bias, even if you don't like him, you have to support him because you got to like $2 gasoline. You got to like a high stock market. You have to, you know, you want, you want things to move in a positive direction. Everybody wants to live better. And the only way we can live better is with a great economy because that great economy is going to bring more money into your business give you more opportunity, the more people that have money, the more opportunity you and I both have in everything we do. Okay. And, it, and if, you, if you're gonna, if, you, if your thought process is higher taxes, less freedom. During a pandemic, that's crazy. During a pandemic, it's crazy. So you're gonna destroy the economy, destroy people's lives. Send, send them home. I think the biggest thing is that the, truly what they're saying is mask mandate by 2021. If Biden's elected and shutting down the country again, shutting down the country. And what's that going to do? It's going to destroy everything. New, New York city is a ghost town from what I understand. People are now afraid to go. I used to go to New York city every year for a week. I have my friend, Joe Trindali. Joe, Joe was going to be, you know, my main guy in Washington. We've been friends since 1982. And a couple of years ago, we started making it a habit of meeting in New York city for a week. Right. right go to all the sites and we take the, the boat tours, everything. This year, so we're never going to New York City again. Now he's going to come down to Florida. So wow. what's that going to do for tourism? It's terrible. People are not going to want to go because they, they don't want to be harassed. They know the police aren't going to protect them. And also most of the business, a lot of the business had to close down. So again, the best place, Velarde Books, Mike, Mike Velarde Books. Mike Velarde, Mike Velarde Books. Uh, and also check out uh, Winning Tax Solutions. With Winning the Tax Solutions, right. I am. Um, and, uh, and follow you on social media. So I appreciate it, Mike. Again, next week, can't wait to that guest. Talk about what the alternative, the independent to Lois Flankel or Lowell, Laura Luna. You're going to be reaching out to them. We're going to have a debate. I will be. Show. My team will do that. So appreciate uh, Mike. And thanks for stopping by. All right. Thanks, Neil. All right, guys, that was the Mike Velarde Show, everyone. Take care. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. 
Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit lensec.com. And now back to the show. Again, I'm excited to welcome to the Andrew Shacken Show again. Andrew Shacken. Andrew, how are you? And I'm good. I'm going to talk about something that is going to ruffle a lot of feathers. Well, that's too bad because I believe in intellectual honesty and sometimes people get ruffled when they hear the facts and the truth. No, Neil? So, right. Bible is truth. We were talking a little yes. bit about last Let week. Let me talk a little, okay. about, a little about that. First of all, it's a very old document. It dates to 1500 B.C., consists of the Hebrew scriptures in the, in the Old Testament and the, the history of Jesus of Nazareth and his resurrection. Uh, now, um, as I said last time, for a long time in this country, in England, I think, a lot of people read the Bible. But this is not true anymore, uh, at least in the Western world, and maybe read in China or, uh, or whatever, but not here. And I have to say this, I'm not an elitist, Neil. But I think that the Bible is seen as outdated, a waste of time, and mythology by the intellectual elite or those with a degree of education. Not everybody takes that position, but I think of intellectuals in this society do, or people that pretend to have great knowledge. Uh, you know, okay, they want to feel that way. That's okay. Uh, and this isn't really surprising because in the light of the technology and science. Uh, so uh, let's take a look at who reads the Bible and why. The largest in our society, they don't read it at all. And let me tell you, they're indifferent to the Bible. They may be indifferent to it, but they also may um, see it as mythology. They use that term as mythology, myths, fairy tales, and nonsense. But let me tell you this, uh, Neil. That may be true on the part of many people for any old books. What I mean is books that take back to the past. Could talk about Shakespeare. You could talk about Homer. You could talk about the Greek tragedies of Aeschylus, Euripides, and Sophocles, or Jane Austen and Charles Dickens. A lot of people take the position, old books, just like the Bible is old. Someone said that to me. What are you going to read some 3,000 years old? It's not, it's not relevant. It's not the age of the thing, it's what's in it. Okay. But until a lot a lot of people don't read those kind of books anymore, right? They don't. No, they don't. No, they no. don't. And I think the reason they don't read it is because they think they're outdated. Don't you think? They think they think it's outdated, Andrew. They think it's just uh 
It's just something that is not. And why do you but feel? As I say, true? I take the position, not the age of something, but the content. Mm-hmm. Unless you know about the content, you can't can't, can't make any judgment. So anyway, uh, the uh, the people who don't read the Bible, they're they're quite happy. Uh, well, they, they their guiding thoughts come from some sort of uh, osmosis or absorption from the media, computers, television. That's where they get their knowledge. That's okay. I personally don't think it's much help. And so if they're offered, let me say this, Neil, if some people, if they're offered sexual freedom, they'll take it. If they're offered materialism and greed, they'll take that, which is, seems to be our society today, doesn't it? Yeah. It's based on money, greed, and sex. Exactly. It is. I mean, uh, okay. Uh, they, they don't see the, the point of the Bible. That First of all, the Bible handles a lot of things that are extremely important. They have an explanation as to why there is this problem in the world of evil. The Bible talks about that, and I don't think the secular society has got an adequate explanation. I know, I'm telling you, you got to be in, in a hole or in a rostrum. So not to know after six or eight genocides in the past hundred years that there's not a huge amount of evil. And the evil takes this form, selfishness, self-love. That's what people are into, isn't it? Right. I think they are. I, I, don't, exclude, I, I, exclude, I don't exclude myself. But they will say that um, some people also see the Bible as literature, but that's nearly not what it is. It is, a reg- it is a presentation of God and his action history and what he tells us about his nature, whether it's the resurrection of Christ or eternal life. You don't have to believe the Neil, I'm not forcing anybody to go in, to buy into this. Right. I'm saying to understand the Bible, that's what the Bible talks about. Exactly. So you what don't you're talking want- about is everything in the Bible is truth then? Well, it is, but I mean, the idea is you, you will not understand the Bible unless you understand, you have to understand you are entering a world, a supernatural world of God, of angels, uh, of death, of resurrection. You are entering that world. You don't have to believe it, Neil. Nobody's got to believe anything. But if you're going to understand what the Bible says to our age or any age, you have to understand it's not myths. It's not literature. It's what I just described. If you, you don't have to believe that stuff. What's in the Bible, Neil, you don't have to. But that's what it says. Right, exactly. If you don't want to realize what it says, then you're wasting your time reading the damn thing. So let's go to our new topic. What's the new topic? Okay, the, ne- the next topic is a extremely, extremely um, a sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've discussed this before, Neil, and there is a a concept has developed in our society in some sense that everybody has a valid opinion on anything. Right. That's ridiculous, of course. I don't, my opinion about Albert Einstein and his theory of relativity, I don't have anything to say because I don't know anything. Therefore, my opinion means nothing right. in that area, correct? That's correct. Many people, I'm really willing, this is something I'm really a stickler on, I don't think that I'm equal to everybody. I am unequal to a huge number of people, scientists, writers, 
professional sports, all kinds of people can right. do things I can't even attempt. So I'm not equal. Are you equal, everybody? No. So you don't believe everyone should have an opinion? They can have an opinion, but it's got to be based on some kind of knowledge or facts. If there's just not to, just to have an opinion. So if, there's, if there's no knowledge and facts. Yeah, then you, the opinion is useless. So why are most opinions useless then? Well, the most opinions are useless because I say this. First of all, it's partially the nature of our, our political democratic system. We believe, I don't think it's true, but we create the myth and idea that everybody is equal. Uh, Neil, it isn't true. Everybody's opinion is not equal. The opinion of Richard Dawkins, Stephen Dawkins, his opinion for me carries much greater weight in the scientific uh, community than my opinion. Right. He knows things. So not there has to be knowledge to have an opinion. There is, and otherwise, now we're facts. Knowledge. That, this stems from this this democratic idea, egalitarian idea. I think our society wants to create the illusion that everybody's equal. In that right. it's an illusion. They're not equal. And then the socialist society or a communist society, everyone is yeah, equal. Yeah, I guess they're equal. Except the except the leader. The supreme leader yeah but i'm i just don't think i'm equal to a lot of people I'm, I'm i'm being honest about it i think it's true so you don't feel anyone should have an opinion unless there's fact or truth i, how I do we identify, they can have an opinion uh, how do we how do we identify that's fact and truth well it's very difficult look let's let's take a, a view of what in a people's opinions they're shooting off their mouth okay when people give an opinion on something, they're shooting off their mouth. That's my opinion. That opinion has to be, to me, to have validity, has to have a fact basis and a thought basis. And therefore, you can have an opinion. Of any, 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 our society allows people to have opinions. But those opinions, unless they have a real hardcore basis, it's some kind of knowledge or thought. I don't think they're particularly helpful. I don't look down. I'm not looking down. My opinion in most areas, other than what I do, maybe I may have an opinion in law. I may have opinion in theology. I have degrees and knowledge in those areas. But I don't have opinions in physics that are very valuable. I don't think so. I don't have an opinion in, uh, in chemistry. I don't know it. Therefore, my opinion in those areas is useless, correct? So what you're saying is yes. people that believe everyone is equal is not the fact, and that we continue to go this way, we're going to diminish the people with knowledge and facts. We, well, that's, that is really what happens. Our society is declining. In certain, don't you think so? Uh, I mean, it is in certain aspects, and it is not in other ways. It just all depends on well, how you define it. You, when you have the, the idea that everybody, everybody's opinion because is that's good, the problem. you're bringing down the entire system. Right, but if you look at the left and right, some of their opinions are facts, some of them are not facts. And there that's goes politics. The no, politics is, is not truth. It is, uh, it is someone's attempt to gain power through the use of certain okay. ideas and concepts. All right, so where can we connect? This is a great topic to continue the conversation. You should go on other shows regarding about uh, 
they're, they're not everyone should have an opinion. Where can we connect? I don't say they shouldn't have an opinion, but Do they have facts. I don't. My opinion in chemistry and physics. Right. Exactly. Or mathematics. Exactly. I don't know anything. So okay. What's the point of my opinion? All right. All right. Let Shocking. me just talk about sin and evil. One second. Yes. Yes. Next. One time. second, and we'll continue this next time. Uh, our society has developed a concept that there's no morality. But uh, I believe that anybody who takes a look at the world of six genocides in Rwanda, Cambodia, Pol Pot, Hitler, Rwanda, wherever they are, people are doing huge amounts of evil. And the evil is embedded in all of us, in our selfishness and self-love. That okay. is the source of Absolutely. the sin. And the modern world will say the environment and genetics cause people to do this stuff. That's nonsense. They make a moral choice. That's my opinion. Yeah. Okay, so shackinshow.com for more information. Check you out there. Follow your social media sites. And it was another we great conversation. We will now discuss in the next show the matter of evil and sin. I believe it around. And people, my opinion, in this area, whether you murder somebody or you hurt someone verbally, you are making a choice. Exactly. All right. It's a, All right. it's a choice. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. That was the Andrew Shacken Show. Take care. All right. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, Taylor Purdy. Taylor, how are you, man? And uh, you're talking about <laughs> dealing with uh, a four-day week, but really every day seems the same when you're in, in quarantine. There's no difference, Taylor. That, that is super, super true, Neil. And I, I work from, I mean, everybody works from home now, but I I've normally work from home. So for me, it's just always this long stretch of the glow of my computer screen and suddenly it's Friday. So yeah, I feel that real hard. So see, I, I feel that too, but it's still different because people don't leave. Thank goodness kids are back to school. Even though I've decided to move into my other office, I, I moved my office to my mom's because it just, my home office, because it just wasn't working, even though, because they're still in this called quarantine phase of hybrid education. And hybrid yeah. means you never develop any consistency. But that's for another time, another place. You, you and I, I think we'd do a great job uh, doing a morning show together because we hit it off right off the bat. So, Taylor, tell us, yeah, you, did. so tell me when you knew you were going to be a performer. How old were you? Oh, wow. Um, there's some story about me making up a dance to the theme song from Anastasia for the kindergarten talent show. But uh, I think really um, the first time I really thought about it as a career was probably like 11 or 12. Um, I kind of realized how I looked around and saw how much more people paid attention to what their favorite musicians were thinking than what you know, their leaders were thinking and art as a way to like get people to have a conversation struck me pretty early on. Now you are, you are part of a family legacy. Can you explain that too? So that helps in a yeah, way. Yeah, um, yeah. So my, uh, my mom is Roberta Morris Purdy. She's a documentarian. And my father on the flip side of that is Nathan Purdy, who is one of the, I, I guess like great black soap opera actors. 
Um, so you've got my mother's hardcore social social issue documentaries, and my dad's fighting his you know evil twins half cousin from space. Um, and I'd say definitely that gave me an insight into how those art forms kind of permeated everybody's life, whether it was like the fight in the war movies that my mom made or how interested my father's fans were in anything he had to say, just because, you know, he survived the great plague of Landview in 1999 or whatever the drama was that week. So here's the thing. You were pretty much born into it, even though you made the decision. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true, though. I was never pushed into it. There was a, a lot of, like, hey, kid, do whatever you're into. And if you're into this, we'll, we can talk about it. Um, there was definitely one Thanksgiving where my father declared we were not allowed to discuss the Stanislavski system at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Um, but generally, it was whatever I was into, and eventually I was into some of the same things as them. So tell us the journey. Then you get started, like some of your other projects, before we talk about your latest project. Well, I... I suppose I kind of tagged along with my my mom's documentaries for a long time. Um, those were, you know, those there there were places to go on those, and every every one of those films kind of had its own like unique corner of the world. Whether it was breast cancer or the war in Iraq, um, she had to learn to text before me because she was making a film with embedded soldiers, and she had to like text the director of that on Baghdad time in, you know, 2003, when nobody I knew knew how to send a text message. Roberta was texting across the battle, the battlefield. Um, and eventually I kind of started, I realized that the only way to really get any jobs artistically was to know somebody if you were lucky, but most of the time, even when you do, it's about making it, making work for your, for yourself. And documentaries are a great way to make a film and tell a story that doesn't require a movie star and massive overhead. So the the first film that I really worked on kind of as an equal partner with with my mother is this documentary about the murder capital of the world, which is San Pedro Sula, Honduras. And hopefully that'll start showing next year. We kind of we're releasing these projects kind of in a backwards order. But a lot of like documentary social action things before this musical. Wow. So interesting. And so, and it's, so it's a mix. It's really a mix of what you're doing between your father and mother. That's pretty cool. Definitely. And and I I guess in terms of more things like, like my dad's corner of the world in between, you know, going to Central America, I like would get murdered on Gotham or, you know, fight some superhero on Iron Fist, kind of the like oscillation between, you know, you're an actor and you go to set and you do a thing and, the other corner of the world where you're a filmmaker and you have to make all of it happen on your own and kind of walk in those lines. So this process till the release, it's been a, it's a journey, right? Tell us that journey. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Tell us about that. I mean, so I made this documentary about the Honduras. I started filming it. Honestly, I was like 19 when we started shooting it. Um, and after we kind of finished it and screened it and like, put it on a shelf for a while. I knew that I wanted to make something with a script actor. So I sat down and kind of had to look around and see what I had access to. You know, there wasn't going to be, you know, like Robert Downey Jr. wasn't going to stop by and be in something that nobody was going to give me millions of dollars to make Star Wars 15. 
Right. So I kind of had to see what I had access to. And at the time, I had access to some, like, cool old houses in rural Pennsylvania. Um, my dad, some of the uh, – Cassie DePaiva, who worked with him on One Life to Live. Um, and folk music. I was learning to, like, write folk songs at the time. So essentially, <laughs> this film came to be because it was a mix of all the things that I, like, could grab up and shoot that summer. Um, which ended up being really special because in retrospect, it's become like a love letter to this part of like this corner of the world, this like Pennsylvania and this like weird corner of like, what do you do after industry or steel leaves? And this like love letter to this very un actory world that I actually grew up in. Let's see. There you go. That's a great uh, description. Now you talk, talk about, there's a lot of music in it. I've read up on stuff, right? So you, you've always put your loves in these things and these creating these things, right? I'm not going to just, you know, make it kind of like what my dad dealt with. I'm going to put some music into this to make who I am. Right. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. He, he, so my dad is very musical. And when I was growing up, there were instruments all over the house. That's um, cool. Kungas and bass guitars and all these things that I never really paid much attention to. I had piano lessons for a while. And one day, they have this great old barn, which is actually in the film. They they found this old acoustic guitar. It's like on a wall in a room in the barn they never used. It like no, it didn't belong to any of us. It must have been belonged to whoever owned the house before them. And that that, that is what I grabbed onto, that this like, you know, the least like cool black guy instrument possible after all of the things that Nathan had lying around that I, I was drawn to the banjo and this, you know, classical guitar, I think really made him laugh. Um, <laughs> all right, so, so tell us the premise of this, of this film without giving it away. You've kind of talked a little bit uh, about, yeah. Like, are, are you playing? You're definitely one of the characters, you know, you created this. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, my mom made me promise that if, I did actually start making movies. I always had to write a role for myself and for my dad. Um, so yeah, I play the title character. The film's called Killian and the Comeback Kids, and I'm Killian. And Nathan plays my dad, which was very special. That is very cool. Fun. Yeah, it was. It wasn't the first time I directed him. He'd been in some like short things that I'd done before, but it was definitely the first time we got to have like lots of detailed scenes together. Um, and that was honestly, it, it's really fun to work with him. It, I think there's an element of doesn't even out the like parent child dynamic when I'm the boss a little bit, but mostly it gives us a chance to like play together. It kind of reminds me of all the times we used to have lightsaber fights or something. We, you know, we're still playing pretend in the backyard, but, um, the, the film is, it's essentially about a guy who goes, is coming back from a big expensive college degree. Like so many people I know. And he's supposed to go off on a modest but legit music tour with his roommate across, you know, some bars, you know, in the Midwest. And he stops back home to, like, see his folks and cool off before he goes off. And his bandmate drops out. So we get stuck in this town that we begin to discover is kind of, it's struggling. The steel mill has pulled out. And Killian has to kind of go back to these people he'd known as a child and maybe didn't talk to a bunch once he went off to the big city to try to put a band together out of everyone else who's stuck in this town to play. There's one slot at this, at the local music festival that is kind of based on Bethlehem Steel, or not Bethlehem Steel, um, 
that's the way they do it. So essentially, there's a slot at Music Fest, and he and the guys have to try to win it. But then there's a twist, and that's a whole other thing. <laughs> you yeah, don't want to give it away, but it's basically that journey of being the comeback kid and to be able to make it. And that's what all we all do. And when you look at your father's success, who who do you want to, and you look at your mom's success, which one do you want to kind of, kind of maybe get even bigger than? Because we always strive for things. <laughs> what would you say? Well, I mean, I want to be bigger than both of them, don't I? That, that's good. Um, that's, that's what you got to do. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, honestly, I think less bigger than one or the other, it's that I'm trying very actively to combine both of their ways of making art. My mother is very hands-on and detail-oriented. Right. She makes the, gets a project going. And my dad has this great way of just, like, this laissez-faire sense of, you know what? I'm done for the day. He always tells me, Taylor, you're working harder than I've ever wanted to work. I can't believe you'd want to work that hard, but good for you. Um, and being able to oscillate between making a thing happen and also remembering to just enjoy that you're Nathan and you can sit in your barn and have no desire to write a script today. And I'm trying to balance a little more of my dad's laissez-faire vibe right now to stay sane. But awesome. it's about a combination of both of those. Well, fantastic. Where can I, the film will not be coming out till later this fall, right? Is that correct? Uh, so it, it actually starts uh, this on September 18th. Okay. Um, and then it's going to, because movie theaters are crazy, it's going to have a kind of different kind of rollout than movies would have a year ago. And every week it's going to add more and more places, but it'll be rolling out through the rest of the fall more than just like, oh, these next two weeks. Um, but it starts in Pennsylvania. It's, it's, there are a bunch of play dates that first week in Pennsylvania and then kind of all over. Uh, is it coming to Pittsburgh? I believe it is coming to Pittsburgh. Well, that's where you're, this is the flagship. If you call flagship, I'm all over the world. But yes, uh, Pittsburgh, let us oh, know. Let, just email me when it will be coming to Pittsburgh because I want to definitely see it. Definitely, yeah. And I, I saw that you were in Pittsburgh. And I, uh, the steel mill thing in, in this is very much a subplot. And so I, I appreciated that you were out there because you guys get that just like the people at, by Bethlehem Steel do, you know. Exactly. All right, so we have to check it out and check out Taylor. Best place we can find information on the film. Where can we go? Uh, Killian and the Comeback Kids movie.com. That'll do it. Awesome. And okay. how, how do we follow Ladies, you on really. Taylor socials? Uh, yeah, I'm just Taylor Purdy on Instagram, Twitter, all the places. All right. Well, uh, I don't know how that rollout will come when you go to each theater. I don't think you're going to visit each theater, right? To do a meet and greet type. Um, of thing. I'm not going to every theater. There are way too many for that. But I'm going to. I'm going to be at a bunch. I am, and all of that stuff will be probably on the website. And honestly, um, the plan is for me and some of the rest of the cast to go and either whether it's at a drive-in or at a venue that's miraculously open near a theater, we're going to do a series of like mini concerts um, of the music from the film and you know other music in that vein. Um, so depending on where you are, it might be your drive-in, might be at your local bar or whatever the concert venue is, if it's open. But we'll be going around to a lot of places. All right. But the film will be even more places than we're at. All right. So, all like, over. each week it'll roll out. Go to the website to check all that out. And I appreciate you stopping by, Taylor. Thanks again. Thanks again. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> 
We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Author's Corner segment. You know, and you know when I think about nightmares, this guy is really uh, out there. People are talking about him, and so I'm excited to welcome the program author Travis Mays. The Nightmare series. How are you, um, Free Nightmare series? How are you, Travis? Thanks for calling. It's pretty good. You? Uh, I'm I'm doing great, man. And I want to find out why horror. Why do you write horror stories? And scary stories. What? How did that come about? Well, I, I grew up, you know, watching Tales from the Dark Side, Twilight Zone, things like that. And as I got older, the shows and books that I was reading got less and less scary. So I basically decided to start writing my own to bring the scary back to him. Definitely, because you think it's missing those stories, the Twilight Zone and stuff oh, like that. A lot of it is, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the, the modern horror is kind of missing the scary, you know, the twist. So you like to build it up like a normal situation and then, bam, something happens. Exactly. Like you could have definitely written this horror story like the Twilight Zone of what's happened with the coronavirus. Right. I've written two on it, actually. Really? Tell us about that a little bit. Give yeah. us a share a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the first one is Virus which is basically, if, let's see, one of them, let's see, virus is the one where it's introduced as a bioweapon in the future. And then more recently, the conditioning, which has come out in ebook, but not yet audiobook. And it's more extraterrestrial based. Oh, okay. See, and did you write these before the pandemic? Pardon me? Did you write these before the pandemic, Travis? Uh, no. The virus I, I wrote, you know, just as it started, and then the conditioning I wrote recently. That's the last one I wrote. So when you think about the, how much did you predict from the virus when you wrote wrote that that story? The the virus one was a bioweapon that actually happened in the future and they sent a message back in time. You know, the only way they could stop it is to send a message back in time to the person who created it. And they knew that that person wouldn't believe that there was an actual message coming from the future. So they, you know, sent him a message to commit suicide. But what they didn't, you know, think about was the fact that he could commit suicide with the virus and spread it before it happened or spread it before you know, it killed it. Wow. The conditioning, it's, you know, they're, they're introducing these viruses to condition us to meet extraterrestrials, you know, to, to condition us to where a virus brought down from outer space, per se, wouldn't, you know, kill us all. You know, they, they slowly introduced it to condition us for that meeting but then in the end, it really didn't save us at all. It just made it possible for us to continue in a different place. See, this is a, this is fascinating, Travis, when I hear this, because, you know, this is what we're, the world we're living in. And why why did this happen to us? And is this the last virus we're ever going to see? Or are we constantly going to have to fear viruses? for the next right. 20 years, right? Once coronavirus gets a vaccine, is another one going to pop up, which we're hearing in China, they're happening. So who knows? 
Right, right, exactly. But you were, why is the yeah, definitely <laughs> the why. Now you write about tons of different things. Where do you get your creativity about these short stories uh, of horror and and like real, just like on your edge type of stuff? Well, basically, I just start writing a story and then I let it unfold and. You know, it kind of just happens as I'm writing it. It comes together as I'm writing it. And how long are short stories for you? A lot of them are uh, audio, are audio, which is great. Yeah, usually less than 15 minutes. Okay. How long does it take you to write one? Uh, off and on, probably a day total. Gotcha. And you keep releasing content. How important is that for your fans? Pardon me? How, you keep releasing content. How important is that for your fans? Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's very important because I, I like to give them something different each time, something, you know, they don't expect. And that's... You know, that, that was another reason yeah. I started writing is because, you know, when you watch a horror movie or you read a horror book, you can almost determine what is happening before you get halfway through it. You know, you, you can almost know the ending. What is your goal with this? Do you want to be writing for major people at one point in time? Some of your short stories or one of them created into something? Oh, sure. Uh, eventually, I plan to make them short movies like Tales from the Dark Side, basically like episodes. So you need your fans' help to be able to make that happen then, right, Travis? Exactly. And the right person to see the specific things. What have has the feedback been? I've been checking you out in social media. People talk about you all the time. You have a lot of people that really are promoting what you do. What do they think they like most about your writing? The twist. The signature twist. Who would you kind of think that you pattern your writing after? The, the person that you would say, uh, yeah. Well, I really didn't you know, consider myself to be patterning that stuff. We'll put it into the show descriptions and out to SEO that people, and I appreciate it. I mean, I, I love that type of work. It's, it's a niche and it's interesting and your fans love it. And people could follow you at Travis Mays on Twitter. Right. And then also all free, free nightmare series official on all different social media platforms as well. Yes. My username is insane underscore author. Great. And then again, free nightmares official. You can check out all the different types of stuff as well. And, uh, and it's official with the abbreviation, but I tell you, uh, people need to check out the stuff. So I appreciate you calling Travis. Okay. Thank you. Right here. You're listening to Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment.